Merry Christmas, everybody. Today is, let's see, yes, just kidding. December 25th, 2017. I am in Highland Park. This is the Spiritually Angry Podcast. I am in the Casita. It is a beautiful evening out. It's Monday. It's not Sunday. I usually do the podcast on Sunday. My name is Joseph W. Naus, by the way. I am your host of the Spiritually Angry Podcast. The Spiritually Angry Podcast is something that I did kind of as an experiment. I didn't do it intelligently insofar as I intended to get a bunch of people to listen to me. I did it more as a maybe that would happen, but more so I was going to ramble. I can't seem to shut up. It really is a problem. I talk too much. I say too much. Yes, this is true. So I thought maybe I would drop it on you guys. Maybe you'd actually enjoy it. Probably not, given the numbers of this podcast. I'm thinking not. (laughs) But I do one thing very well in my life, and that is I am consistent Uh, There's a lot of other things I fail at, but one thing I do know and I try to enlist and I do it pretty successfully, especially since I've been sober for the last 14, was it 14 years now, 13 years? Uh, And that is be consistent. So when I promised myself I would do this and I promised you that I would do this for six months, uh, every week for six months, I meant it. And this is the second to last show before uh, that six months is up. I imagine that I won't do this much longer. Um, I am, I don't really have any topics. It's just me rambling about, you know, I say rambling. Uh, that's not true. I, I have cog, uh, cogent thoughts about things. I think they're good thoughts. I think they're, I think what it is is that I, I want to raise some issues for you and maybe you go out and run with them. That's all. None of this is very deep into any particular issue. In fact, I did bring up the issue of the shooting that happened in Arizona um, last, what was it? Was it that last week or the week before? The cop uh, that killed that kid in the hotel. And it wasn't a kid. I think he was 20, 21 or 25 or something like that. Just completely harmless you know, kid pleading for his life and some uh, cowboy cops shot him. And I did a, a podcast, I talked about that a little bit on a podcast, and then I listened to Chapo Trap House, and they did coverage on it, and I really saw how much better they are at it. <laughs> you know, now they get paid a lot of money to do their podcast. They are news junkies, that's what they do. Um, but it was a bit humbling to, to listen to them. Uh, you know, whatever, I didn't, I didn't think I was great at this. But I did cover a lot of the same stuff they covered in it. And, um, that still breaks my heart. And, uh, imagine those girls that are the daughters of that, those young girls that are the daughters of that father who was needlessly killed his Christmas, not so good. So, um, it's always good to keep in mind those less fortunate during Christmas. Um, with that said, I don't have a whole lot to say. Uh, you know, I just feel I, I feel like through this six months, and I have one more of these to do, and I, I do plan on on really giving you the the my all on the New Year's. I think it's going to be a New Year's Day one. Every New Year's, 
since I've got sober, I do some type of process. And it's really been wonderful, you know, because before I got sober, when I would look at the past year, if I even did so, it basically was a lot of lost opportunities. And the irony, of course, is that I did a lot of things. I, I you know, I, I went to law school, I, I practiced law, I did it, I had a decent law career for the short time that I had a law career. I, I, um, I did some things, but I never was able to put my all into it. I never was happy with the way I was living. I wasn't happy with the way I was treating myself. I wasn't happy with the way I treated other people. And, you know, they always say, you know, good intentions or the road to hell is paved by good intentions. Yes, that's true. And it's extra painful to have good intentions, to have principles that are, quote unquote, good and to not live up to them. You know, and I've always had principles, very strong principles. I've always been the kind of guy who thinks, look, if I can't justify a behavior, then I want to stop doing it, period. I don't care who else is doing it. You know, uh, I know I talk about veganism a lot. If you're not a vegan, sorry. I know it's a very uncomfortable subject for most people who aren't vegans. And I know why it's a very uncomfortable subject. The same fucking reason it was uncomfortable for me. Because it's unjustifiable. There's no way to justify not being a vegan if you live in America and have a reasonable income. And, you know, there's just no reason to be a, not be a vegan anymore. And I understand. And I also understand that... Uh, so anyway, they're going. I'm, I'm off into another offshoot again. Another reason I'm not very good at podcasting. Can't follow a, a trail. So, but my point is, is that ever since I got sober and I look back at the year, my years just kept getting better and better. They, may, they weren't better financially. They weren't better professionally. That's for goddamn sure. They weren't better romantically in, in some respects. I, I thought it was, you know, just one of those things. I guess it's true. A lot of women do like assholes. Um, <laughs> but, but I was acting in accordance with my principles. And man, does it feel good to act in accordance with your principles, especially when there's some principles that you ignore because you don't even want to take a look at it, you know? Everything in my life, from, from the way I... Treated other people to the way I ate, to the way I slept, to the way I uh, was in romantic relationships, the way I was professionally, everything was tainted by my unyielding need for something to stuff down my whatever, the addiction that thing that constantly needs to be fed. Addiction doesn't care if you want to be a vegan. Addiction doesn't care whether you should work harder for your employer. Uh, addiction doesn't care whether you should meditate. Addiction doesn't care whether you should um, be honest in a particular situation. Uh, addiction doesn't care whether you should spend time with your family instead of going to a bar and drinking. And so over this last... the since I've been sober, and especially since I've got smober, non-smokers, non-smoking, I've done these ceremonies, and it's been so much fun because I look back at my the past year, and, and I'm usually very pleased because I, I do my very best to be 
cognizant, to notice, to be awake. Um, as Dr. Langer would say, um, social psychologist, PhD, I believe, from Harvard, who talks about noticing things like that, like the end result of meditation. Like meditation is to quiet your mind so you're conscious post-meditation. She talks about being going straight there. And, and the way she says to get there is just by noticing things. Like if you're noticing things, you're in the present. And so every year since I've got sober, I do these ceremonies. Uh, sometimes they're just as simple as looking back on the prior year's uh, goals, journaling, uh, thinking about the prior year, how I've behaved, what I've done, uh, what achievements I've done, what, what things I didn't succeed in, you know, and, and writing them down. Sometimes I do a meditation ceremony. Sometimes I'll do this thing where I'll put candles in a circle and I'll sit in the middle and meditate. And I write things out. It's a time to, to really contemplate the prior year and to really ground yourself in gratefulness. I think in this world that we live in, in this culture that we live in, where there seems to be so much evil in the world, where it seems that evil is winning. And remember, evil is sin, and sin means without. Sin means to miss the mark. Sin is not true, right? If you're, if you're uh, striking a cue ball with a stick, a cue, true is the very center. It's that sweet spot, right? Everything else is sin, it's without. It's missing the mark. And it just seems like our human species is diving as fast as we can towards extinction because we're putting individual interests above overall societal and human interests. And we're certainly doing that with, with other species besides for Homo sapiens sapiens, right? And uh, killing off species very quickly killing off the planet, um, poisoning ourselves, all in the name of, of uh, fear, of, of quelling the fear through material comfort for those playing the, the game of capitalism, right? That's what it's all about in this world. That's a whole nother subject. Merry, Merry Christmas. God damn it. Remember, remember what Jesus did? Uh, it's so odd to me that that the rich conservatives have have uh, leveraged Jesus somehow. I recall from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that the stories of Jesus's life don't have a lot of uh, favor for the bankers, the Pharisees, the traditionalists, the conservatives. Seems like he was more down with the down to earth, practical movements. Uh, our people. So this practice of contemplating the year, the prior year and really grounding myself in spirituality through gratefulness has been a, a great help to me. Um, it really has. I'm so, it's just, just the word gratefulness, just say, I am grateful for it. You can think of something. Maybe you're grateful for the fact that your right pinky still works well, even though your other 
nine fingers have been chopped off. Maybe you're grateful for your health. Maybe you're grateful that you recovered from a heart attack. Maybe you're grateful that you cheated on your wife, but you're not cheating anymore. Maybe you're grateful that your uh, chipping has improved. Maybe you're grateful that your kid uh, just learned something that uh, seemed to um, seemed to not be seeping in, right? So much to be grateful for. It's such an exercise. And so at the end of the year, that's what I do. I, I start gearing up for that. You know, I was thinking a lot about, I think a lot about my interactions with a, a kid who's a, he's not a kid, he's in his 20s. And he's a cousin of an ex-girlfriend who's a great, dear, dear friend of mine. And he is a conservative, you know, NRA guy, former military guy. And he's kind of my Facebook troll. But I have love for him. I don't even know him very well, but I have love for him. And one thing that helps me understand him, and something that Dr. Longer said, and I heard this on a podcast recently, where they interviewed Dr. Longer in, um, she, she writes about mindfulness. Check it out. Just, just type in, uh, Dr. Longer podcast mindfulness. If you want to, um, read up more on that. Yeah. I think it was on the on being podcast. O N B A E O N new word B E I N G. But, um, you know, she was talking about, Instead of saying can, say how can. It's such a powerful thing. Words are so powerful. And that is another one I'm going to add to my list. One of mine that I've really, uh, I catch myself a lot. I do it on a podcast a lot. I think it's super powerful is to replace but with and, right? And, or, and but are very powerful conjunctions in the English language. So, and, so if you say, um, if you say, I'm good at golfing, I have a good full swing, but my short game sucks, right? Or you say, why use the word but, Right? The, in, this, in that sentence, the word but affects the prior clause. And why would you want to affect that prior clause? You're good at golf or you have a good full swing, but. So what you're basically saying is you're dividing golf up into two things and you're detracting from the first thing, the overall golf, by saying, I have a, okay, so when it comes to golf, I'm good at the full swing, but I have a shitty um, short game. Why say that? Why not say, when it comes to golf, I have a good full swing and I'm uh, working out my challenges with my short game. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there listening to this and going, oh my God, here's more of that bullshit. But it's true. Words really do affect reality because your mind is the most powerful organ in your body. And when you're, and your mind says to yourself, when you're saying something, that's affecting your mind. It's saying something you believe, and it's affecting your mind. And the way, and your mind, like with golf, it responds to your body. 
I can tell you just when it comes to the full swing versus the short swing, I'm much more relaxed on the short swing. Why? Because I know that I have a good short game. I am not stressed out about my short game. That doesn't mean I don't hit poor shots. But when I do, I'm a little bit surprised. The full swing, I get stressed out about. I don't have a full belief that I'm, I'm, I've got it yet. We've talked about this before. But going back to this kid. So this kid, he's my Facebook troll. I'll put something out there and he'll, I'll say something like, you know, here we go again with trickle down. Like here's a, po- a Facebook post that I might have made. Here we go again with trickle down economics. I thought we figured out that this didn't work after the Reagan administration. Okay. Say that, put that up. Then he'll put up some stuff like, oh, you know, why should welfare moms, um, you know, get money? I'm, I'm tired of seeing welfare uh, queens um, take away my hard-earned money. Some bullshit like that, right? Whatever. Forget about the actual thing. What I what helps me is to understand that he's on a continuum. He's not that person that said that. He is on a time continuum. And we, we have to identify when he said that. That's who he is right now. That's his opinion right now. And the important thing is, does he believe in the scientific method? Now, by the scientific method, I'm not talking about mixing, you know, vials in a chemistry lab. I'm talking about open-mindedness, applying open-mindedness to facts, reasonableness. Because most people, myself included, on a lot of subjects are not down with the scientific method. We are vested in a particular opinion. Here, I'll give you an example. I believe so much in veganism right? I I believe in the environmental benefits of it. I believe in the health benefits of it. I believe in the um, spirituality of it. You know, I believe in the animal cruelty part of it. So when I hear a fact that goes against it, I bristle a little bit. I don't want it to be true. But why would I ever want to be in a position of not being objective about a fact, right? Why? I'll tell you why. Because I have individual, my personality is vested in my opinion about veganism, right? It's part of how I identify myself. And the further I move along in my spirituality, the more I'll unidentify myself with my opinions, right? That's a good scientist, that's a good spiritualist. We want to be open to all facts. That doesn't mean we're wishy-washy. That doesn't mean I'm going to spend, I'm going to throw away three years of studying and thinking and learning about veganism because I learned that eggs have a certain nutrient in them that you can't get from flaxseed oil or something. You know what I'm saying? But what it does mean is that I, I can be objective I learned this lesson a great deal in law. And it was really one of those things that I, I, I know I, it seems strange, but I oddly connected to alcoholism. And I might not even be able to tell you how, but, al- but if we think about alcoholism as being a spiritual malady, right? 
then that's how we can fit this in. And, and what it was is I would get cases and I would, I would get a, fa- a case, a, a lawsuit. And, he, and a lot of times I'd be on the defense side when I worked at a, a big defense firm. And I would get an opinion about what happened. And I would chase the facts that supported my opinion would be highlighted in the file in my brain. And the ones that did not would be kind of cast aside. And that's not good lawyering. And the reality is a lot of lawyers did that. I don't think I was alone, but I probably on a few cases really was poor at that because it's hard to take one side and not and to be objective about facts that came in. But there were several times where the facts as I thought they were were incorrect and I made mistakes. And to I don't want to do that in my own life anymore, especially now I, that I know this uh, I have this opinion. I, I know this fact, right? Uh, I know this truth about I am not my opinions. I am not what I've done yesterday, right? And so, um, so when we talk about, you know, my, my um, troll, my Facebook troll, I don't, I don't, hate him like I I don't hate him or I don't dislike him what I see is that he is me right I had opinions when I was his age that I strongly agreed with or strongly believed and espoused loudly that are completely that now I understand are completely wrong and I am quite sure that in 10 years from now I will look back at certain things I said, did, opined that I think are completely wrong, right? And so it's important to understand that everyone's evolving and that when you see someone with a certain opinion that you don't just box them in, you know, that's a gun lover. Give them the respect and the opportunity to do the same thing that hopefully people or you did for yourself and that's give you the opportunity to learn. Uh, and if we can talk to ourselves and to others in a compassionate way and in a scientific way about things and really get away from opinion and start getting into facts, which means getting away from our personalities, getting away from the us that's, that's, that's pulled into it, right? That, that I am a Democrat, I'm a liberal, I'm uh, anti-guns, I'm pro-guns, I'm anti-abortion, I'm pro-life, right? I hate golf, I love golf, I'm a short hitter, I'm a long hitter, I'm tall, I'm short, you know, I'm smart but, but ugly, I'm ugly but smart, I'm not good at computers, all these things that we identify ourselves with and they make us feel secure. It's a little scary to not know, but the more that we practice it, And the more that we realize it's the truth with almost everything in our lives that we don't know, right? We have a lot of evidence on one or the other side, but because we're scientists, we don't know until we know. And a lot of things we don't ever know, right? We won't ever know. And that's all right. 
And it really takes a great deal of wisdom and strength to be okay with not knowing. Oh boy, was that a great tangent. Um, so getting back to the big thing, I'm grateful. Getting back to the, the, the basic subject of Christmas, I'm super grateful to be alive. I, I'm super happy um, that I got another year on this planet. I got another year in this body. I got another year to interact with people, to do things, whether I was quote-unquote successful at them or not. I get to do this podcast. I get to write another book. I get to practice golf. I get to breathe the air. I get to be a vegan. I get to be a member of 12-step groups. I get to continue my spiritual journey. I get to read. That's amazing. I get to read books. That I am fucking grateful for. I could spend the rest of my life reading a book. I could read a book a day and not get to every single book that I want to read. And that's a wonderful thing. I love books. I love story. We're in a golden age of TV. How wonderful is that? Remember when we were kids and the best thing on TV was fucking Gilligan's Island? And now we have uh, Mr. Robot. That's how far we've come. It's wonderful to be alive. And uh, we're in an age... Sorry if my jacket's making a bunch of noise. It's cold in the casita. Let me uh, take my jacket off here so it's not making all this noise. It's one of those uh, one of those fancy high-tech jackets. So yes, and we live in a time where there is so much uh, there's so much material abundance, and yet there's so much isolation and spiritual lacking and lacking in connectivity between our fellows. And there's so much solution to be had there uh, that's available to so many people. So what I did want to, um, I got to cut it short because I've got this wonderful opportunity that a wonderful friend of mine uh, is turning me on to. And I'm going to get up at three in the morning and I'm going to drive out to Scottsdale where I'm going to do uh, testing with um, uh, Sasha. What's his name? Um, oh, Sasha Baron Cohen, <laughs> Sasha McKenzie and Terry Rawls and Dr. Will Wu. And I'm going to do this uh, high tech golf testing from these biomechanic based uh, golf instructors, some of the hottest golfer, golf instructors in the world right now. And I get to do that. Not only do I get to do that, I get to do it for free. These guys, I looked up Terry Rawls. This guy charges $4,000 a day to coach. And I'm going to get to uh, spend time with this guy. And he's going to uh, look at my golf swing. I'm going to help him. He's going to help me, hopefully. <laughs> and I'm going to be get to hang around some guys I don't get to hang around with. Get to hang around with some guys I really like. Um, my old, uh, my former law partner and his brother, who I, I just adore. I think they're just fucking great people. And uh, and hopefully I'll, I won't be an asshole to uh, their people there like I can be sometimes. And hopefully I'll be uh, of service and try to act, uh, act the right way. But I'm going to get to drive uh, from L.A. to Phoenix, basically, which is like a six-hour drive. I'm going to, I'm going to get a, I think I'm going to download an Audible book tonight, and I'm going to get my coffee, and it's going to be fucking wonderful to drive through the desert super early in the morning. I'm very excited about this. Um, 
very excited. And even if it doesn't turn out to be something other than just helping this guy out by being a, a, a golf research monkey, um, I will have put the energy into this thing. I truly believe that putting effort into something, even if it doesn't get you the results that you expect, there is there is something about putting energy into something that has positive results in the long term. I am so excited about my, where my golf swing is. As you may know, I'm on a quest for par at Chevy Chase. I did November and December. I basically I play four days a week. I train the other three days. I work out all the time. And my goal is to shoot par by the end of the year. The end of the year is not here yet. I haven't gotten very close to shooting par. I think the best I've done is a seven over through 18, which isn't very close. But I have improved my swing greatly. I think I've identified the problem. Um, and uh, I, might, I might extend it out a month, but I probably won't be playing four times a week. I'll probably cut it down to two. I need to do some other things to generate some income. But uh, really excited about that. And um, I'm super grateful and lucky that I get to do this. Not many people get to you know, take two months out of their lives to chase a passion uh, exclusively to the, to the extent that I have. And I'm very grateful for that. And um, so that's what I'm doing. And I'll be spending, I'll be uh, hanging out in Phoenix and doing that. And then I'll come back and uh, do some other stuff and write and work with my editor on my book. My book, which hopefully will be coming out, I don't know, maybe May, which will be three years from um, when my Straight Pepper Diet was released. By the way, if you haven't bought Straight Pepper Diet, buy it. It's a great book. I really do believe that it is a great book. So do a lot of people that reviewed it on Amazon. So check it out. It's my backstory if you're wondering what my backstory is. So in the name of Christmas, I want to read this thing to you. And I heard it on, um, I heard a little about this and I want to read this to you. So the Christmas truce was a series of widespread but unofficial ceasefires along the Western Front of World War I around Christmas 1914. The Christmas truce occurred during the relatively early, early period of the war, month 5 of 51. Hostilities had entered somewhat of a lull as leadership on both sides reconsidered their strategies following the stalemate of the race to the sea and the and the indecisive result of the First Battle of Ypres. In the week leading up to the 25th, French, German, and British soldiers crossed trenches to exchange seasonal greetings and talk. In some areas, men from both sides ventured into no man's land on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day to mingle and exchange food and souvenirs. There were joint burial ceremonies and prisoner swaps, while several meetings ended in carol singing. Men played games of football, soccer, with one another, giving one of the most memorable images of the truce. Peaceful behavior was not ubiquitous. Fighting continued in some sectors, while in others the sides settled on little more than arrangements to recover bodies. The following year, a few units arranged ceasefires, but the truces were not nearly as widespread as in 1914. 
This was in part due strongly due to strongly worded orders from high commands on both sides prohibiting fraternization. Soldiers were no longer amenable to truce by 1916. The war had become increasingly bitter after devastating human losses suffered during the battles of the Somme and Verdun and the use of poison gas. The truces were not unique to the Christmas period and reflected a growing mood of live and let live where infantry close together would stop overtly aggressive behavior and often engage in small-scale fraternization, engaging in conversation, or bartering for cigarettes. In some sectors, there would be occasional ceasefires to allow soldiers to go between the lines and recover wounded or dead comrades, while in others, there would be a tacit agreement not to shoot while men rested, exercised, or worked in full view of the enemy. The Christmas truces were particularly significant due to the number of men involved and the level of their participation. Even in very peaceful sectors, dozens of men openly congregating in daylight was remarkable and are often seen as a symbolic moment of peace and humanity amidst one of the most violent events of human history. So I heard about this actually on an NPR story. They were talking to a historian. I just caught a piece of it while I was driving. And I wanted to look it up. And I thought, what a, what a great thing to talk about on Christmas. You know, you've heard me talk about militarization on this podcast. I, I am of the opinion that you don't get to be a hero just because you sign up to be in the U.S. military. I am of the opinion that soldiers of the U.S. military are used primarily to further the interests of corporations and their powerful owners. I'm of the opinion that uh, our military budget is out of control, that our colonization and imperialism has gotten out of control and that all the bases around the world are unnecessary and contrary to humanity in general. I'm of the opinion that the United Nations is being not being used as it should, and that is where countries come into agreement together before military, military action is taken and it's based on uh, crimes against humanity by countries. And uh, I think it's one of the greatest tragedies of our current society. It drains our economy. It uh, creates a class of people who have physical and mental injuries unnecessarily. It continues our dependence on oil. Um, our militarization is a is like our penal colony, our 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 penal colonies in this country, our penal uh, factories are monsters that have gotten so out of control that the populace 
even accepts it now as if it's okay. And with that said, this story of this truce during World War I is such a wonderful story because I think it tells the truth of humans. They are not these men, these infantrymen, these were low level, you know, these were the grunts. These were not high ups. They understood the humanity. And when they really were in contact with these men that they were fighting, they understood that these were just men that happened to be attached to another um, superpower in the world that was gripping for power, right? Germany in this instance. And I, you know, I think that a great deal of our military men and women in this country understand that now through the internet, through the increase of education and through the increase of information, there's no, and, and, and through so many scandals, uh, from our government, I think a lot of our military understand that they're risking their lives for corporate interests. They are told over and over and over again that they're heroes and that they're protecting the citizenry of the United States from terrorism and fascism. And yet the facts that that surround them do not seem to support that. They do not see people that seem even able to confront the United States on its borders, only perhaps to confront the United States' corporate interests abroad. And they do not see the government treating them like heroes. They do not come back here with uh, good medical care and good jobs, and they are not treated like heroes other than you know, the flag waving by politicians, um, which does little for their livelihood, them and their family's livelihood going forward. And uh, so this example of the peaceable nature of men at this time, there were no men, women in the infantry, who really just want to live their lives in peace and to compete reasonably with other humans, not for all the resources, but for a better life, you know? And so right now, there are men and women all over the world in United States military uniforms, Marines, Coast Guard, Army, Special Forces, Navy, Air Force. They're in Korea. They're in Germany. They're in all over the Middle East, Syria, Iraq, Iran, uh, Afghanistan. They're in Africa. They're all over the United States. And, uh, They're a class of people that 
I don't believe uh, need to be told that they're heroes. You know, like every one of them is Bradley Snipe, Bradley Cooper's character in American Sniper, which, by the way, that guy didn't believe in any of that bullshit either. Uh, but what they really need is to be given true assignments that really do support a reasonable military effort and not some corporate greed. And they needed they need to be paid uh, commensurate with what they're doing. And they need to be given health care and proper supplies when they return home. And uh, we probably could do that if we lessen the number of them, lessen the ins- assignments. We wouldn't have to have this giant class, you know, there's not a whole lot of uh, rich kids in the military, you know, and the ones that are are officers out of the front line, you know. And uh, so on Christmas, when people should be home with their families, uh, it's good to remember this amazing story of the goodwill of men coming out during a horrendous period that was promulgated by greed for power and wealth. I hope more of that happens. I hope more of that happens. Can you imagine these men... There were holes all over the ground from artillery rounds and grenades. There were dead bodies that were decomposing that hadn't been buried because the men couldn't go out there because they'd get shot. There was raining, so there was water filling these holes. There were tr- it was trench warfare, so there was trenches and barbed wire. It was a dead zone. And these men came out, they filled the holes, they buried their dead, (laughs) they played soccer, they traded food. The British didn't even have helmets. The British British military men didn't have helmets at the time. And there was one story of one uh, German soldier who traded something, I forget what, it was probably some food stuff, for the German helmet. And then afterwards, when the higher-up officers wanted them to fire at each other, and threaten them with court-martial if they didn't. A lot of times the men would shoot up into the sky or purposely miss their counterparts. In one instance, uh, one of the men who, who had the helmet, his German counterpart came to him and said, look, we're about to have an inspection. I need to borrow my helmet back. You know, And this is amidst vicious fighting where, you know, dead, killing people all dead people all over. It was a bloody, horrible war. And, um, yeah, it's just an amazing story. I don't, I was just, I, and by the way, I read that, I, I, I can't contribute that. Uh, I read that straight out of Wikipedia and, um, which is a compilation of different people contributing to it. So there's no one individual, but, um, I'm sure there's a lot of different things to read up on that. And, uh, just the sentiment of it is really amazing. Um, so, yeah. 
That moved me a lot. That moved me a lot. Um, yeah. So, uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm going to, I'm going to get back inside. Uh, Teresa made vegan chocolate chip cookies. I am hungry again. (laughs) And I'm going to get something to eat. I love you guys. I hope you had a beautiful Christmas. If you're struggling with, if you're listening to this because you're an addict and you're struggling, I, I, all I can tell you is, uh, Dive in, dive in nice and deep, bust open that book, go to, if you don't have a book, go to a meeting, get a book. I can't imagine anybody not giving you a book if you ask for one. Uh, Jump into the fellowship, jump into meditation, jump into prayer, get exercising, start eating well. Fuck, fuck what you want. That is one of the key things to getting what you, to getting sober, getting clean, or just accomplishing your goals. There's two things you want. There's the meta, right? There's the micro and the macro. The micro is what you want right now. The micro is how you feel, right? My like let's take golf as I always do or let's take fitness. My my my, my macro is that I want to look great. I want to feel good. I want to be strong, right? I want to be flexible and fast and powerful. That's my macro for my fitness. My micro is I don't fucking feel like working out today. I'd rather go have a piece of pie. That macro has to be squashed in order for the macro to ever be achieved. And it's the same with anything else. It's definitely the same with addiction. Fuck the, the, the macro is to spiritualize your life, to get free of the grips of addiction and the only way to do that is to get God involved, whatever your God is, whether it's the doorknob or the guy with the beard in the cloud, and to let go of what you think you want right now for the big picture, right? And the more comfortable that I get doing that, the better my life gets. The more comfortable I get forgetting about and ignoring what I want right now for what I want in the big picture, the better my life gets. So there's that. I did have a, a, a dude email me um, who's having problems with addiction. I responded back to him recently. He has not responded back. I haven't heard from him. I hope, I hope you're well, Scott. Um, everything I said in that email I meant, I hope you, uh, I hope you get help. And, um, For the rest of you out there, peace and blessings. Um, Get you you your prayer and meditation. And uh, let's go out with some beautiful music from my beautiful wife from her band, Hello Menno.